All right, um, grab your Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to continue our series called the Question Series. And we, we're diving a little bit deeper than just a topical sermon. We're going through all of how church leadership and church, why, why we do what we do in the church, how church leadership is set up, who, who can preach, who can't preach, and that's all laid out in First and Second Timothy and in Titus. So we're going through all of the pastoral epistles, as they're called, those three books, and we're going to go verse by verse, line by line, and look at all of the text over the next several months. Uh, so last week, we unpacked and we saw in Timothy, the first thing Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, um, not, not, listen, don't just allow anybody to come into the church and teach. There, there are to be certain people that should and should not teach. And, and Paul was warning Timothy, he was charging Timothy, saying, listen, don't just let anybody walk in the room and begin to teach. We have to have men who are qualified to teach. And because we have these problems... There's, there's those that are, that are doing pro, they're, they're causing problems in the church. In verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy, Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So obviously there were people in the church of Ephesus that were teaching doctrines that were contrary to the word of God. Um, so don't, don't stray from the gospel. Paul's telling Timothy, do not stray from the biblical gospel. In fact, Paul echoes this and says in Galatians chapter 1, the church of Galatia was having similar issues as well. Um, and they, they had problems. He writes in Galatians chapter 1, but even if an angel, or, or if, if, if we or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the ones to the one we preach to you let him become accursed or the word there is anathema as we have said before we now we say it again if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the ones you the one you received let him be damned so this is very bold language this is very just, I mean, it, it is. We're not. We don't have to guess what Paul's ideas are. We don't have to guess what Paul's leanings are on teaching the gospel. He's very clear. In fact, Jude, Jude pushes this a little bit further. If you, I don't, I won't tell you what chapter it's in, but Jude, starting at verse three. There's only one chapter for those that don't know. Jude chapter one, starting in verse three. Jude likens false teachers to those who partake in homosexuality. So how, did, how do you know that? Well, let's read the text. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designed for condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality 
and deny our only master, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but they left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities with which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursue unnatural desires serve as an example of the undergoing of punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also rely on their own dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when Michael the archangel, contending with the devil, disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do, all that they do, not understanding and they are destroyed by all they that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves to, for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and persuade in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at the lo- love feasts As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees, late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of seas casting up foams of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom and utter darkness have been reserved for them forever. This is... This is potent stuff. Those who teach a false gospel have prepared for them utter and absolute reserved damnation. This this is the the same thing that is reserved for those who partake in sexual immorality is the same thing that is going to take place for those who teach false gospels. This is this is what awaits those who reject God's word and teach a false gospel gospel God's not playing around with this message like I need you guys God is not playing around so that was where we kicked off the message in Timothy last week his spiritual son Paul tells him be careful who you allow to come in and teach because there's plenty of false teachers that are out there and if you're teaching anything contrary to the Bible then you're going to be damned you're going to be accursed This is a serious thing, and we should be very intentional in who we have be be allowed in this holy desk. There should not just be anybody that can teach, come in here and teach a Sunday school class or teach behind this desk, because God's Word has a very specific laid out information as to what we should and should not do in the pulpit. Amen? Okay, do I need to change? Listen, this is serious stuff. Alistair Begg once said, We are not at liberty to rewrite the Bible to accommodate godless uh, perspectives. We just don't. So this is is what we started with. Listen, this is all just a recap from last week. So starting this week in verse 12, we find out why. 
Why is Paul so serious about this? Why is Paul so potently just enraged about this and telling Timothy, don't let these people in to teach? Why is this? We're going to find out. Paul gives us a testimony of his own salvation and he, to help bring a proper context of why he's so serious about this and a, a connection and understanding of the law and the false teachers who claim to know what they're doing to try to infiltrate the church and to cause divisions and problems. So starting in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 is where we'll begin. Paul writes and he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithfully and appointed me to his service. So Paul is referring to the moment of his conversion uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 15. He talks about this. Jesus says, For the Lord said unto him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So the Lord judged and called Paul out specifically. And he calls him out and said, that you're, you're going to do what I've called you to do. You're going to be my instrument. You're going to carry my name before the Gentiles. By the way, that's you and I. We're, we're the Gentiles. You're going, to, we're going to, you're going to carry my name before the Gentiles. And oh, by the way, you're going to suffer for my name's sake. This won't be easy, but I'm going to equip you and prepare you for the job that is at hand. So he's reiterating the, to Timothy, listen, here's what I've, here's what I've been going through. I, I thank God that he, that he equipped me, that he's called me out. I'm thankful for that. Look at verse 13 in 1 Timothy. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy... Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. It, it, listen, if you remember, Paul was attempting to do God's work. And he thought he was killing Christians to help the Lord. Think about that. He was killing Christians thinking he was helping God do God's work. <laughs> right? So Paul is do, thinking that he's doing God a favor by doing certain things that he's doing. Well, that was Paul. And he was acting ignorantly. He didn't understand. He didn't understand the goal that God had. And this is why Jesus had to step in in verse 14. And, and this is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ overflowed for me. With the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus, they say that this saying is trustworthy and deserves is deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Aren't you thankful that God came into the world to save sinners? Because guess what? If He didn't do that, you and I would be out. We'd be in trouble. God came to seek and to save what? Luke chapter 19. Seek and to save who? That which is lost. So thank God that He comes in to save us. What's the purpose of Christ's coming? To save wicked, sinful people like Paul and like Caleb Gordon. Oh, man. Listen, I, I, I'm just thankful to the Lord that He decided to come in and step in at just the right time and redeem me from my wicked fallenness. He could have genuinely and rightfully so left me in the space I was in. 
but he chose not to do this. Aren't you thankful the Lord's come after you? Let the, come on, folks. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Aren't you thankful that the Lord came after you? Thank you. Good night. I was like, man, what, who am I preaching to? Am I preaching to a dead church? Wake up! Wake up! Aren't you thankful for the Lord that he's pulled you out of the state that you were in? Oh, he continues in verse 16. But I, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So in other words, Jesus, is, Jesus said, listen, if I can save Paul, I can save anybody. If I can save Paul, I can save anybody. And that, that's a comfort to me. That is amazing to me that if God could save a man who was a murderer and a blasphemer, that guess what? He could save men and women just like you and I in this room today. And, and who, is, who gets the glory out of all of this? God gets the glory out of every single ounce of these amazing and absolute um, great works that God has done. Verse 17, the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God gets the glory out of all of this. We glory in the goodness and the absolute amazingness of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for our lives. So I, let's, go, let's keep going in verse 18. This charge I entrust to you. So remember, in the beginning of this text, in verse 1, he's, in char he's entrusting a charge to Timothy saying, listen, don't allow false teachers into the building to preach a false gospel. And then he reiterates in verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. We are at war. It is a spiritual war, and Satan is crouching at the doors of your heart and waiting for an opportunity to pounce. And we are waging war, and we must be aware of what's going on around us. We must be vigilant to be studying the Word. We must be connected into understanding the truth of God's Word. So he says, he keeps going into this, we're waging this good warfare, holding faith and good conscience by rejecting this. Some have made a shipwreck of their faith. So those who have rejected this gospel, those that have gone off into myths and to genealogies and to weird, strange theological teachings, they've rejected and made a shipwreck of their faith. So he's telling him, don't do this, Paul. Paul, don't make a shipwreck of your faith. Please, son. As a dad pleads with his son. Don't do this. Just as among you as Hermanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to be blasphemers. Woo! So Paul's telling Timothy, because of what Christ has done, 
That Christ shed his blood on Calvary's cross. That Christ was willing and able to come in and step into the gap that you and I were standing in. And then stand in for us and take the punishment that we deserve. Paul's telling Timothy, because of what Christ has done, you must keep the teachings of the biblical doctrine pure. You can't allow false teachers in. Christ did not do all of this for, just, for us just to throw it away. Just to allow any willy-nilly whoever wants to come in the pulpit and teach and preach. Anybody that wants to have a Sunday school class over whatever topic they want to have. Oh my goodness, we, listen, this is serious stuff. We, we're going to represent, this is how we're going to represent you, Jesus. You did all these things for us on our behalf. And what are we going to do? We're going to th- take this thing and say, well... It's an old, musty, dusty book, and I'm not really interested in this thing anymore. Let's throw it out because, well, it offends my senses. It offends my sin. It offends the things that I love, Caleb. I love certain things, and so because I love certain things, the Word of God says I shouldn't do those things. Well, by golly, Caleb, I don't like that the Word of God says that I can't do X, Y, or Z. Well, I don't care. People say, well, Caleb, that sounds offensive. I, I, I just shared this video not two, 24 hours ago. John MacArthur stood in his pulpit and he said that you want to paralyze me, paralyze me as a pastor, that I might offend some of you. Listen, John said, my job is to offend everyone. The Bible, listen, this word will offend those who transgress it that's the point of the law the law is to expose that you're a sinner that you have done evil in the sight of God and that the law has been broken but good news is that Christ has come in and he's fulfilled the law perfectly and as a result of fulfilling the law perfectly now we have a, a justified stance to be able to stand in front of a holy God because Jesus stepped in and took your place and he comes after you and he shows you what the truth is. And he says, okay, this is who I am. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've come to redeem you. And we're going to let somebody come in here and just say, well, that's not really what Paul meant when he says, that's not really what that verse means. We have attempted in our sophisticated and and erudite society, we have attempted to rewrite the scriptures to be able to accommodate for our own sinfulness. And we've got people who stand behind these sacred desks who claim to be preachers who should be thrown out on their ears and never allowed to preach ever again who say things like, well, Jesus was transgender. That's actually a quote that I heard this week. Jesus was queer. That was another one I heard this week. And I'm I'm not trying to be blasphemous. I'm just quoting what these heretical people said. And I'm telling you, what we're doing is we're trying to rewrite the scriptures to accommodate our wickedness so we don't feel as condemned. And all we're doing is we're placating ourselves and lying to ourselves to make ourselves feel better until that moment when we stand on the precipice of eternity and Jesus looks at us and says, I never knew you. 
That's coming for some of you who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. If you reject the gospel, if you attempt to listen to or teach or believe another gospel, the scriptures say that you will be accursed. You will be anathema in the presence of God. As much as you want to try to say, oh, I'm doing good things, Caleb. You don't know. I'm doing amazing things. There's a lot going on in my world, and, and God's just opening all kinds of great things in my life. And I'm real, man, it's just awesome. God's blessing me in my sin. Oh, really? People boast about their sin on social media and how God's also blessing their lives. Hogwash. Hogwash. And if you believe that, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona. Just quoted the great theologian George Strait. But I'm telling you, you say, well, Caleb, what do you mean by all that? The scriptures, Jesus says it very clearly. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Interesting enough that he also, in context, is talking about false teachers. So these people who claim they know Jesus... There's going to come a day in verse 22 that they're going to stand before God and they're going to say to God, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out many demons in your name? Did I not do many mighty works in your name? And then I will, depart, and I will declare to them boldly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You workers of iniquity, those who teach a false gospel, Get out. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who believe a false gospel will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious. Why is it serious? Because it cost Jesus Christ his life. And because it cost Jesus Christ his life, it's a serious thing. His blood was shed. He was beat for over 20 hours. He was tortured. And what are we going to do? We're going to start saying that, well, Jesus sure, sure kind of winks at sin. He's not really offended that badly by it. He doesn't really hate sin that much. Oh, I beg to differ. Look at Calvary's cross. You want to see the, the depth of hatred for sin that God has? Look at the brutality and the violence of Calvary's cross. That's what you are owed. I said it Wednesday night, Isaiah chapter 53. You and I deserved everything that Jesus Christ received. He received a crushing. He deserved a beating. He deserved the nail-pierced hands and feet. He wore the crown on his head of thorns and it crushed his brow. And he bled and he bled and he bled. That is what you deserve. You say, well, Caleb, this sounds like a bloody, bloody religion. Man, thank God for it. Because guess what? Hebrews chapter 9 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You know why we sang there's power in the blood this morning? Because there is! Amen? There's, there's power in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of power is it to save us, to redeem us, to buy us back, to make us His children? Woo! That should get you excited. Anybody? If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. If that doesn't get you fired up to want to follow and love the Lord Jesus Christ, eh, say lovey. Wow. 
This thing costs Christ his life. Don't think it's not going to cost you yours. That's the reason Jesus in John chapter 6 was very explicit to his disciples. He said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no life. And people were like, whoa, eat and drink, whoa, that's, what? And they, they lost their minds. Everybody left. He had just fed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. They were there for all kinds of miracles and carnivals and shows and parties. And they were there. They were there when the party was good. But then Jesus says, okay, here's what I require. Here's what I require. You gotta, you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood. And what does he do? What happens? The people go. Maybe he didn't see me. Maybe. And Jesus doesn't stop and go, oh, wait a second, guys, I'm sorry. I'm, did I offend you? I don't want to offend you. Oh, please come back here. I'm trying to get a popularity cult going. Hurry, come back, come back. Let me, hold on. Let me turn on some laser lights and some fog. Hang on. Let me, let me see if I can get a cool band. Hold on just a second. Let me get culturally relevant and say that I'm queer too. So hang on just a second. Hang on. Don't leave me. He looks at his 12, his inner 12, his posse. He goes, did that offend you? Because if it offends you, you can leave too. I don't really need to save any of you. I'm not in this for a popularity contest. You don't like it? Go. That's what he tells the inner 12. He doesn't plead. Like, this is serious stuff. Jesus is very serious about his holiness. He is very serious about sin. And if we as a church we just eh, wink at it and ignore it, men, we're in trouble. And there will come a day when God Almighty, will, you will stand before God and have to give an account. And guess what? I as a pastor, ooh, if I don't talk about this stuff, I will be even held to a greater standard and I'm telling you, this is why Paul looked at his spiritual son, Timothy, and he says, I charge you, I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the, the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. Man, some Christians need to get off their blessed assurance and we need to start acting like we're at war. Because we are. The enemy is out to, to, to kill us, to destroy us. He's roaming around. 1 Peter chapter 5 says that he is roaming like a lion looking for someone to devour. And what are we doing? We're wearing T-bone underwear waiting for him to get us. Just come pick me up. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not reading that book. I ain't going to take time to read over this book and pour over this message that Jesus has for me. I'm not interested in that. That's your job, Pastor. Golly, you missed the whole point. You've missed the whole point. If you don't pick this up and you don't read this for yourself and you don't study the Word of God outside of this place, you've missed the whole point. And I'm pleading with you to repent of your sins and trust the Gospel. Stop playing around with this because I'm telling you, there's coming a day when this is going to be a reality. Well, Caleb, I'll, I'm, I'll be fine. Listen. There are some deaths that, that we just sort of kind of, we expect they're coming, but then there's others that all of a sudden, all of a sudden just show up. Someone's heart stops. That's what happened with my friend John this last week. 
He was on vacation. Listen, John loves the Lord, so guess what? I know where he's at. I know exactly where my brother John is this morning. He is enjoying the reward of his Savior. Because he put his hope and his trust in God. And man, he was a man who loved the Lord, who walked in holiness, desired to be close to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, listen, we don't have the promise of tomorrow. Amen? We don't have the promise of the next five seconds. And some of us think we're going to live till we're 90 and have this moment. Oh, I've got a pain. And we crawl into our beds and the doctor comes in and says, well, guess what? You've got 24 hours to live. Call your family in. And you crawl into your bed and push the covers up over you. And the family gets around you and says their goodbyes. And you just close your eyes and go to sleep. That's how we all think it's going to happen. But we don't know. We don't know. But what we can know and what we can trust in is that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And because he came to seek and to save that which is lost, you and I have the security of living forever in the presence of God. Why would you ignore that? Like there are people that I know this morning within the sound of my voice who are just, are just ignoring this. I'm horrified at this idea that they just don't care. Now, they're pious and smart enough not to act like they don't care. They may, they may act like they care in these rooms, but when they leave these rooms, they have no desire for the things of God. Stop fooling yourself and saying you're a Christian because you're not. What's the marks of a believer? That you hate your sin, that you long to be close to God and want His presence. Those who love their sin, revel in their sin, have no desire for holiness, have no desire to be in God's presence, are fooling themselves to believe they're Christians. So I'm calling on you this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't genuinely know who Christ is and you've played the game for decades, then I'm calling you to repent of your sins and stop believing a false gospel and trust in the only gospel that will save your life. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for those that would believe. That's the gospel. That Jesus came to die in your place because of your sin. Not your wife's sin, not your friend's sin, not your kid's sin, not your mom and dad's sin. Your sin. Christ came to die for your sin. And if there's, listen, if the Holy Spirit's convicted you on any level, don't ignore it! Like if God has convicted you, you say, well, Caleb, people might think I'm crazy or people might think that, oh, golly, I don't know. They thought I was saved the whole time and I wasn't. Well, that was me. I was the preacher's kid who everybody thought was saved and dad gave the sermon about a a whitewashed tomb Pharisee and I was like, oh my word, that was me. Like that was, I remember I was standing over, I was sitting right, right where you're, I was a back row Baptist and I was sitting right in this little spot and dad and said, Dad, I'm not a Christian. And you know what my dad said? He didn't go, oh, you made a decision years ago at camp. He said, well, let's pray and ask the Lord. You need to ask God to forgive me. And so I got on my knees on the front pew and I said, God, please forgive me. A fake, a wretch, a, a poser, a guy who's been playing the part. 
I'm a preacher's kid, so I played the part. No! 